right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Angelica Houston is a remarkable actress who has lived a remarkable life. She has an Oscar for her emotionally complex and very funny performance in Preetzi's honor as the black sheep mob daughter, May Rose Preetzi. Come on, Anna Maya. I got a reputation to live up to. I'm the family scandal. Everybody be disappointed if I stop her pitch-perfect Morticia in The Adams Family will be loved for generations. Oh, I'll be fine. I'm just like any modern woman, trying to have it all. A loving husband, a family. It's just I wish I had more time to seek out the dark forces and join their hellish crusade. But to fully understand the context of our conversation today, you'll also need a line from a movie Houston had nothing to do with. Annie Hall. We're going to meet Jack and Angelica and have a drink there. And if you'd like to come, we'd love to have you. We can just sit and talk. Nothing. That was Paul Simon ad-libbing to Diane Keaton in 1976, trying to conjure the most unpretentious but exclusive party in all the world. Jack and Angelica will be there. No last names needed. Jack is Jack Nicholson, of course, Houston's boyfriend, for almost 20 years, starting in the early 70s. And for all that time, nobody embodied the nonchalant glamour of the Hollywood New Wave more than they did. Angelica Houston is the daughter of prima ballerina Enrica Soma and John Houston, one of the greatest filmmakers who's ever lived, the director of The Maltese Falcon, the treasure of the Sierra Madre, the African Queen, and Preetzi's honor for which his daughter won that Oscar. Angelica didn't spend a lot of time on set with her dad growing up, but she does remember being with him in the studio's smoky, dark wood offices in the final days of a Hollywood inhabited by the fast-talking, sharply-dressed producers and agents of the Golden Age. They were the remnants of the old school. They were serious. There was a 
a definite regard for the auteur. The agents worked for the auteurs. And these guys commanded respect, even Irving Lazar, who who was the book agent, who was commonly known as Swifty and, Swifty and was Lazar. about four feet tall and, yeah. and the glasses. looked like a gnome, yeah. But there was, uh, there was a kind of grandeur to it. Um, I remember being around them and they they were affectionate towards me i was i was my dad's daughter so mm-hmm. i was i was sort of tolerated mm-hmm. well maybe more than tolerated well no tolerated, yeah, tolerated. <laughs> yeah. well you did the one film with your dad first which was what year was that um that was called a walk with love and death and that was in 1968 i was 16 years old i knew nothing except that i wanted to be a movie actress and why Movie actresses were beautiful. They And they got the attention of the men in Hollywood. <laughs> well, even before the men in Hollywood, you know, because I didn't grow up in Hollywood. I grew up in Ireland. I know, I know. And I went to school in England. And um, I had a really fantastic mother who who showed me not just movies, but showed me theater and took me to plays and operas. And Where was she from? She was Italian, but she was raised in New York, and she'd been a, a Balanchine dancer. And um, she had a very eccentric, wonderful father. What did he name. do? He was a restaurateur called Tony Soma, and he used to stand on his head and sing opera for his clientele. Uh, what was the a, restaurant? It was called Tony's Wife. What part of town? 57th right, Street. Right, the 50s. Yeah. yeah. And the Rockefellers went there, and people loved him a lot. He was like no one I've ever met. He was an eccentric, but wonderful. Uh, but my mother took me everywhere. I saw not only Maria Callas singing Tosca, but I also saw Ike and Tina Turner when I was <laughs> like 15 years you old. saw it all. At the Revolution. Yeah, I saw it all. I saw Sir John Gielgud. I saw Dame Margaret Rutherford. I saw Laurence Olivier. I Your saw parents- Danny LaRue. I saw the best that England had to offer. Um, Your parents met where? They met in Los Angeles many years before. And she'd come out here for what? To work. She'd been offered a contract by Selznick because she was very beautiful and her face was on the cover of Life magazine as a as a young ballerina. She roomed with Audrey Hepburn. She was part of that whole movement of young women, very beautiful, who were being groomed for stardom. Right. Um, and then she met my father. She'd actually met him at Tony's restaurant. My grandfather always insisted she write an essay if she was allowed to go to the theater or, or to see a ballet. So um, some years before, my father was about to go off to war, and he'd promised her that um, he would take her to the ballet and she wouldn't have to write an essay about it. Um, but then he'd he'd reneged on his promise because he was sent off to war. So at least that's how Your the story went. Your father went to the war. He did. He was a director already. Right. And, um, he they did, sent him there to film. That's right. He did several movies. Um, he did Let There Be Light and The Battle of San Pietro, seminal documentaries for that time. He had a bit of a fight with the War Department later on because they considered the a bit too graphic, a bit too honest, shall we say. Mm. And when he came back from the war, um, because what I'm trying to track here is uh, Ireland, England, L.A., why did you grow up in Ireland? Was that his idea? He wanted you guys to live over there? Well, he was part of the committee for the First Amendment. McCarthy was was hard at it, beating all the writers out of Hollywood. My father and Humphrey Bogart 
Gary Cooper, Lauren Bacall, a bunch of them formed a committee for the First Amendment, which was basically that you know you could stand on your on your rights as an individual as a citizen not have to answer questions from the committee and i think the whole thing left dad with a really bad taste in his mouth he was making a movie called african queen when i was born and then afterwards when where did your mother deliver you cedars of lebanon in Santa Monica. Where did they shoot? In Africa? Yes, okay. in the Belgian Congo. Hepburn and Bogart and your father went to the Belgian Congo. Yes. And this is back in the day when women would deliver babies and the father was on the road. That's right. Your dad was making African Queen when you were delivered? Yes, he was. Oh and Bacall was making meals, you know, I think cooking up bugs for dinner and stuff. Um, when he returned, he then went practically immediately into Moulin Rouge in Paris. And my mother was sort of chasing him across the continent and left me behind. I was like three months old and finally came back and collected my brother and I and brought us to France where we lived in Deauville for a while and Saint-Jean-de-Luz. Why? To be nearer to him. Like a base for you, a European base. Exactly. But when you say she was chasing him around, was he, I mean, l- l- listen, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i get this out of the way up front, okay? I want to, he was such a, a great director. He's one of the greatest directors that ever lived. Was John Huston Incorporated a tough thing to keep God, those fires going? Did he always have to be shooting and going and working? He was on, yeah, he was on the march, my father. Yeah. He, he, he was working on the next picture while shooting the last he picture. Knew, he loved to shoot. He loved to shoot, and he loved locations, and he loved um, hotels, cha- hotels, <laughs> challenges, women, <laughs> um, cigars. consequent cigars, a certain amount of liquor. Yeah. He liked the chase. Uh, he was a sportsman, a daredevil, and I think extremely enticing to women in general. So I think my mother was attempting to keep up, which, of course, was hopeless. It was hard to tame him. Yes, indeed, I think. But she tried. Uh, well, I don't know that she tried to tame him, but I think right. she tried to keep up to with keep him. To keep up with him. Your parents get divorced when you're how old? My mother died when I was 16 years old in a car crash, and um, they hadn't divorced. Where did this happen, the accident? Um, she was killed traveling to Venice. Where were you? I was in London at school. What was she like? What was your mom like? Um, my mother was incredibly beautiful. She was very sensitive. She had an Italian background, even though she was a New York Italian. Um, she she was a good girl. Um, she pleased her father. She wrote him long letters when she was on the road in the ballet. Um, she was still in the corps de ballet um, when she was in her teens, almost until she married my father. She'd come to Los Angeles just in the previous couple of years, and she'd gotten immediately pregnant with my brother. She had incredible taste. I don't know where she got it from, but she knew about things. It's an instinct some people have. Yeah, Yeah. She was a great decorator. She was a wonderful hostess, but she was earthy as well as just beautiful and erudite. She had a full laugh, and she had great wit. And I think it was hard for her because in a way— you know, she wasn't like those beautiful adjuncts to the gentleman. She was very specifically herself. But when your mom dies and you're 16, which is a very uh, significant age, 
What happens to you in terms of your mom, I'm assuming, was around more? Yeah, and I was living with my mother. I may have been 17, actually, going to school in London. I'd done this movie with my dad where we were a very, very bad relationship point during that movie. I'd said all my life, I want to be an actress, I want to be an actress. And finally, he'd he'd launched me. This was, you know, a huge thing that he'd done for me, I think, against everyone's better judgment. And... To tell you the truth, I never liked the part. I never liked the film. I didn't really have any regard for it. And who was I to feel that way? And who was I not to be grateful? So this was a really bad moment between my father and I. And it was after I came back from making that movie, um, barely speaking to him, which that's not a good relationship (laughs) for a director-actress. I've been there, believe me. It's an ugly thing. But anyway, I I then took a job um, understudying Marianne Faithful in Tony Richardson's Hamlet, which— In London. Yeah, at the Roundhouse. Nicole Williamson was playing Hamlet. I rather enjoyed that because um, Marianne was in delicate health, and uh, she often— didn't go on, so I had I had some good opportunities to go on, and Shakespeare is like a protective shield. He's like a hazmat suit. You can't be bad, I don't think. Uh, with with lines, you have more like of a that. chance with Shakespeare. A than lot, a lot yeah. better, you know. And I remember lines in A Walk with Love and Death, like "Go shoot a cow," and I. I reacted so badly to the script. It wasn't right. I was barely able to do it, you know. But now, having been given a little bit of a chance to go on and flex my muscles, um, I was really liking, you know, treading the boards. It was at that time that my mother died. You were doing that show. I was doing that show. And and when she died, the show was on its way to New York. And I, I grabbed a seat on board and went to New York. And I don't even remember my father's having an objection. I think he was so sort of bewildered by by my um, powers of escape. And by the time he caught up with me in New York, I was already modeling. I, I'd started a career for myself, and I was pretty determined to lead life my way. New York was never home for you? No. um, I stayed initially with my best friend at the time, who I'd met when I was like seven and she was 10. Um, Her name was Joan Buck. She was the daughter of my father's producer on those war movies um, and cameraman, Jules Buck. And I stayed with Joan and she was working for Mademoiselle at the time. So I met a lot of people through her. Um, I met very good photographers like Guy Baudin and Helmut Newton and David Bailey, who I'd actually met in, in London, and Dick Avedon, who I'd met in London, who was a friend of my mother's. And so um, I started to model. Um, at first, it was kind of difficult because I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. I knew what I wanted to do, but... Um, It wasn't a natural fit. I remember going into Eileen Ford and she said, well, obviously you need a nose job. 
And then she asked to look at my legs, and it was it was not that comfortable. But it was I, like the county fair. <laughs> yes, we're, we're, we're herding cattle here. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, I had a few um, champions. Dick Avedon being one of them, and and we did a really nice layout in Vogue, like a lot of pages in Ireland. And so I kind of gained a reputation as an editorial model, not an advertising model. So it was considered very grand to be an editorial model, except that one didn't make money. Mm-hmm. You know, for editorial, you made a few hundred dollars a day. It as was opposed, art. Yes, as opposed to the girls who are out there for Clairol sure. or whatever. And I was never going to be a Clairol girl. So um, after about four years where I was in a relationship with a much older photographer called Bob Richardson, and he was great to work for, a lot less nice to live with. But (laughs) great until you went home. That's right. Yeah. You met him where? Uh, Shoot for Harper's Bazaar. He was the photographer. He was the photographer. Editorial. Mm -hmm. And you were how old? I was your early twenties. You were you were eighteen. Yeah, and he was how old? Forty two. Okay, but he he was an artist and he was a magician. He'd look at you through the lens and then he'd just take the camera down and place it in his lap for a minute and stare at you and you felt like you could really provide the goods. Sometimes after we worked together, I'd be trembling, I'd be shaking um, from the impact. Um, there's something about working with people who are very very good. It's the biggest turn on in the world. Sure. Talent is the greatest aphrodisiac. It is. And I'd have to say that, you know, our relationship was very much guided by that. Was That was central to our relationship. I don't really want to remember how we were um, as a man and a woman. I much prefer to remember us as, as, as photographer and model. Colleagues. Yes. Yeah. As colleagues and, and as to people who went after something. Is there a period where that ends New York? Well, my father, of course, was horrified by the fact that I was going out with a 42-year-old man, and not just any 42-year-old man. Bob had a history of of drugs and... Um, was your father anti-drug? Oh, seriously, <laughs> yes. <laughs> extremely, extremely anti-drug. Um, and I don't think any father is all that much in love with the idea of his 17-year-old girl getting involved with a drug addict. But the fact about Bob was that he was um, one of a, of a group of rather important and interesting and famous people who went to see a a doctor called Dr. Max Jacobson. He had people like Margot Fontaine and Jack Kennedy and Truman Capote, Tennessee Williams, a lot of very interesting people. And um, he gave them a combination of of drugs, some I think very pleasant and mind-expanding, and then he'd hit them with something not quite so good. He was manipulative. Mm. And there was a an article written about Bob Richardson in the New York Times, it talked about his experience with Dr. Max Jacobson. And my father read this article and as a consequence thought, ah, well, maybe this is not a common street junkie who right. my daughter's chosen right. to be with, but someone of deeper interest. So he invited Bob and I to go on a trip to Mexico. It was an ill-fated excursion in that um, – 
straight out, I got the worst sunburn in my entire life. They fought about, you know, what I wanted to drink. They fought about, you know, where we should eat. They fought about a lot of things. At the end of the that trip, my father went on an excursion solo to La Paz to find me a black pearl and came back empty-handed except for a pair of straw hats despondent. Um, if I remember correctly from the book, this was the period of lots of jewels and furs. Yes, you. yes. It's furs and jewels. Absolutely. Just a cascade of them. Yes. Yeah. And then we were leaving to go back to Los Angeles, and Bob and I had an epic fight, and um, we parted at Los Angeles Airport, and I'd separated our, our clothes from our bags the night before, and down to the last minute... I wasn't sure if I could actually Had the make to the do cut. It. Yeah, right. but I did, and I didn't look back. I went to live with my dad for the next mm, four or five months. Where? Uh, in the Palisades. Is he in L.A. as a function, purely of the business, and this is where the where movies are made? Yeah. Or, or did he love Southern California? No, actually no. loathed it. Loathed it. <laughs> yeah. I had a didn't feeling. Didn't like it. Had, had um, you know, a certain sort of despisal for it. They couldn't decide on a on a particular style of house and how, yeah. you know, Tudor was followed by Regency, was followed by right. Georgian. Aesthetically, it didn't please him. He felt <laughs> that it was all too safe, um, a predictable, bourgeois. Um, no. Mammon had a great line. There's no place on earth where the homes are more finely appointed than in Bel Air and, these, and, and the artwork and the tapestries. He said these moguls who control these media companies, they have the most elegant taste. And he wondered what happened to that taste from when they left their driveway and drove <laughs> through the gates of the studio. Where did it's that true. taste go? <laughs> well, sometimes they took it to their offices. Some did. And then others not so much. But this is home for you. Yes. And it's it has been for a long time, and something about it said home to me when I began to live here. The Palisades was very beautiful. It was sort of semi-rural. Um, my father had just gotten remarried to a woman called Cece Shane. Um, I could ride horses with Cece up in Will Rogers. Sure. I really like Will Beautiful. Rogers yeah. a lot. Um, something about being in a city that wasn't concrete, being in a place where you could go out to restaurants and shops. And, and L.A. was great in the day. I mean, it was fun. There was the luau. There were, there were about seven great restaurants, uh, Scandia. There yeah. were some really wonderful places to go and be. And I think in the day, it it was a very fun place to when live. When did your sense of started to change? Ah, uh, the 80s, probably. Just get too built up. It got too built up and Rodeo Drive became very glitzy. Up until that point, there was a kind of uh, comfort to the place. And, right. and I longed for beautiful weather and brown skin. I mean, that was the thing that you really wished for in school when I was growing up. And Nicholson, of all people, I said to him, I said, you could have any home anywhere and you live here. And he said, and he just, I can't do my bad jack. But he, he was like, he said, yeah, he said, this is my town. Oh, he loves this it. This is my town, yeah. he said. He just loves it. He loves it. He, he doesn't have to leave home. He's completely happy. He has his pictures. He's got his books, his team. His basketball game. His Lakers. <laughs> oh, I was so sad about Kobe. Yes, that's I, terrible. I was as sad 
for Jack about Kobe as right. I was for Kobe, right. frankly. Right. The Lakers are almost part of Jack, like an extra limb. <laughs> right. But, but yes, it was truly his town, and I fell in love with it as I fell in love with Jack. Um, there was a kind of freedom. You could be completely um, under the radar here. New York, every time you go outside, people see you, people recognize yeah. you. For some reason, I was recognizable yeah. quite early, and I never really liked it, you know, unless I was ready for it. I'm fine if I put on the dog and go out, but I'm not fine if I'm taken unawares. And something about um, feeling exposed like you did on the streets of New York, it still, it, it still takes me by surprise. And there's a look people give you in the street sometimes. I'm sure you know it, which is like it's a look of appreciation and it's almost a wink and they don't want to bother you. But yeah. still you feel they like signal you. they know me. They know they me too much. You. They signal yeah. you. Which Especially changes. when you think you look shitty. But <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a camera in their pocket 24 hours a day and they take pictures of you eating and they take pictures of me with my children yeah. and they make your life miserable. Miserable. It's a very different thing. For me, having been a model, I loved having my picture taken. I, I really did. Yeah. I, when you were signed on to yeah, it. Yeah. I, it's a form of addiction and also the way a, a good photographer takes your picture. I'm reminded briefly of Bill Cunningham, who was a, essentially a street photographer, mm -hmm. but he would say, do you mind? And then – and you go, no, no, go ahead. But there was a kind of decorum about it. Now, not at all. Yeah. And when did you decide to get back on the horse acting-wise? When I split with Bob at LAX. And, and what's the next project you take on as an actress? <laughs> the Last Tycoon with Ilya Kazan. With De Niro. With Bob De Niro, right, yeah. yeah. But Jack was maybe going to do we that film, do film. And then decided not to. You weren't with Jack to. then, were you? No. No. Um, Actually, yes, just, just. <laughs> Where did you meet him? I met him at his house at his birthday party. I went with Cece. She said, oh, there's a party at Jack Nichols. I mean, that's how loose things were those days. Sure. And all of his Say, nicknames. Yeah. People. And what did he call you? Toots. Toots. Toots and then Zabig which came from The Big. The Big. The Big Fabulous, because I used to say fabulous all the time. So it was The Big Fabulous, and then it became The Big. What uh, did he call the car? The Mercedes was the what? Bing. The Bing. Bing, Bing Cherry. He doesn't still have that car, does he? No. A 600 Mercedes. It was a great car. I have a 600 Mercedes. Do you? The last year they made the old model, 1989. Oh, such a beautiful car. What Do you, do you call your car a name? Uh, no, but I'm going to now. Mine. I'm going to call, yeah. <laughs> call it mine. Mine. <laughs> that was another nickname Jack had for me, mine, mine. which became Minel. When we were skiing, I'd be slaloming down the slope, and he'd be up on a on a chairlift, and I'd hear, Minel? Minel! <laughs> Angelica Houston, another seminal figure of the 70s and 80s, is poet and punk rocker Patti Smith. Like Houston, Smith is a great artist who had to navigate a complex relationship with another great artist, in Smith's case, photographer Robert Maplethorpe, who died of complications from AIDS in 1989. You know, I'm still connected with him. I still right. think about him every day. And I mean, of course, you know, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. We did all the things young people do. But as he felt freer as an artist and a human being, the next thing that happened is he blossomed and 
felt his sexual nature. We had to weather that. It was difficult, and it took a few years because neither one of us wanted to part. You can get a link to my full conversation with Patty Smith by texting SMITH to 70101. That's S-M-I-T-H to 70101. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. When Angelica Houston's stepmother, Cece, brought her to Jack Nicholson's birthday party in 1973, she couldn't have imagined what she was setting in motion. Houston was smitten and spent the night. He made me laugh, but he sent me home in a cab. I showed up the next day in my evening dress from the night before, and Cece said, what are you thinking? I had no idea how I should be treated, basically. I was... About 19 or 20. You were still I was still a, kid. a baby, yeah. You're a kid. Yeah. Without any idea how I should be treated or, you know, sense of decorum. What the rules were. No, none. 
and I remember desperately hoping he'd call me. And when he did, I said immediately, but if you take me out, you have to pick me up and you have to drive me home. And I remember this <laughs> long pause on the other end of the phone. But he did just that. Once he was kind of... Once he signed on. Yes, once he signed on or he was pointed in the right direction, he, he could be very gallant. Um, Jack was a wonderful boyfriend, too easily distracted. Um, uh, do, do you find that getting married and settling down is just like, there's no time for that. You're too busy enjoying this life. Well, I can't say that I really enjoyed it all that much. I spent, um, I spent a lot of time in tears, a lot of time crying when I was with Jack, uh, a lot of the time feeling slighted, a lot of the time um, feeling like he didn't get me enough or that I wasn't getting enough attention from him. His attention was very splintered. He he reminded me sometimes of um, a wonderful dog we used to have called Big Boy together, who's a he was half Labrador, half Golden Retriever, big black dog, wonderful dog. But he'd get a look in his eye, and that was it. He was off. And I always knew that I really wasn't the most important thing in Jack's life. I was, was it your dad all over again? Um, yeah. And, and Jack got a tremendous amount of attention. And that was hard for me, mm -hmm. you know, because also I knew what it was to get my own kind of attention. Um, and when so that, it turns into a kind of competition. And so, on when did, some when, level. so when did that begin? Meaning, when did you start to say, "When am I going to make me and my work the most important thing?" When does that start? It started pretty early on, and and I think, oh, it was difficult because I didn't really have any background in acting. I I've been around these guys all my life, but I I'd never studied. And I remember going to a, a class of. of good friend of Jack's called Harry Giddis, a wonderful guy, took me to a, a class at Eric Morris's studio, and I was just sort of appalled. Um, there was Linda Crystal on the floor begging for a dime. There was, you know, it was a whole kind of scene in there. And I remember coming out and being just indignant and outraged. And I knew nothing except that I had an instinct. So... Shortly thereafter, I was speaking to a friend of mine, and she said, I'd like to introduce you to someone that I think you might like. She's a teacher, um, and her name is Peggy Fury. And I walked into Peggy's studio, and I audited maybe for three classes before she said, all right, you know, let's see what you do in this exercise. And... God, I fell in love. I fell in love with acting. I fell in love with her. I fell in love with that class. And I was in that class for about three or four years just doing scenes. She turned on all the lights in me, you know. And around that time— What about her? How, how did she succeed in doing that? First of all, she really listened and she really watched you. And she built up a complicity with me. So if someone was really bad— So it's Bob Richardson all over again, but yeah. a different medium. Yeah. And if someone was really bad in the class or was sort of hashing it up in a scene or something, she'd kind of sneak a look at me or like give me a wink or something. She made me feel like I knew what I was doing. And sometimes she'd, 
She'd criticize me outright, but she never embarrassed me. She she loved props. <laughs> Peggy would love it, like if you brought food into class, because then, she, you know, you'd eat the food after the scene. There was something so motherly and so um, warm about her. She reminded me of, of the way I was with my mother. Mm-hmm. And I think that was something that I really needed at the time. And then, Women helped you. Yeah. Women have men, always men, been men better friends to me than you. men, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. true. It's true. Although they challenge you. Women, it's a gentler approach. Right. And I think men challenge you. It's it's not because they love you less. It's because they want you to prove yourself somehow, or, or at least the men in my life kind of were more attracted to what was independent in me. Right. So the first film you do that is a real movie that you you know get some attention for is Preeti's Honor. Ah. And you were and you were with Jack then. I was with Jack. So when you're on the set of the film and it's Jack, it's your boyfriend and your dad. Yeah. And you're back on a set with your dad after the last go round was was not a, a party. No. And I always remember uh, uh, Jack said to me. I said, what was it like on the set of Chinatown where it's this uh, uh, iconic director and you of great movie star and Polanski is about to become an iconic director. He's on his way to that. And I said, what was it like with the three of them together? And I'm, I'll do my bad imitation of your dad too. Jack said that uh, – he said that uh, Houston called him Roman. I know. He called him Roman. And, true. And, and he said Polanski would hold forth with all this kind of direction and, and Houston would turn to him and say, now, Roman, there are really only two directions, a little more or a little less. It's and, so and, and really, and I, and, and I thought, what a, what a world to be with these three, like, titans or whatever you want to call them on the set of the film. Also, I remember on Chinatown, Jack going like, Roman wants me to wear this fucking bandage on my nose. He doesn't want to shoot my face. He wants this bandage on my face. Well, of course, it's the most iconic. Still. Still yeah. in, in movies, practically. What was it like for you when you were doing Pizzi? Um I felt like, ooh, when I when I first of all, the part didn't come to me through either of them. It came to me from John Foreman, who'd put me in a movie called The Ice Pirates, which was we used to call them B movies, but um it was it was a pretty pretty tragic movie um in which I played um Maida, the the most powerful swordswoman in the universe, but I liked it a lot because I got to play more type. I I wasn't playing a wilting flower. Right. I liked that a lot. I got to decapitate men and stuff. <laughs> so that was that worked for me pretty well in that movie. And and as I left the set one night, oh, and my love my love interest was John Matuzak. I used to climb him like a tree. He was football wonderful player. football player. The twos. Um, but anyway, as I was leaving the the set one night, John gave me a book, Preeti's Honor, and said, I'd like you to read this. Tell me what you think. So I read it overnight. I said to him the next day, wow, it's wonderful. It's such a good book. And he said, um, so what do you think of Mayrose? And I said, wow, that's a great part. He said, yeah. What do you think about you playing Mayrose and uh, Jack to play Charlie Partana and your father to direct. And I went, oh, no, don't do that to me, John. God, that's terrible. 
don't do that to me. It's a nightmare. A nightmare. And then he said, well, we have to go and recruit them. And I went, you can recruit them. I'm not going to recruit them. I'm not lifting a finger. (laughs) Nothing. Not a finger. And then cut to a couple of weeks later, John is on my doorstep. He picked me up to go to Mexico to talk to my dad about doing Preetzi's Honor. And I said, I'm not going with you. He goes, yes, you are. I went, no, I'm not. He left alone, furious with me, came back. He'd been to Mexico. Jack was already in Mexico visiting with Dad. He'd somehow gotten Jack out there. They'd been watching the female gymnasts in the Olympics for the better part of the weekend. And Jack had misunderstood. He thought the movie was a straight movie. He hadn't read it as a comedy. But as soon as Dad had explained to him that it was a comedy, he felt good about it. And that was it. He was on board. When did they find out you were on board? (laughs) I'm not sure that they knew quite yet. They didn't. They might not have. How was your father different when he directed you in that film than when he directed you in the first? Did he treat you differently? Well, yeah, because he saw that I knew I was happy. He had more respect for you. He saw that I was happy in my part. There's there's nothing worse than a disgruntled actress, as I'm sure you know. And then the film comes out and? And... Good, yeah. time, good time for you. A very good time. Very good time. How did you time. feel? I felt— uh, Honestly, how did you feel? Vindicated. You did. I did. I felt, um, first of all, it was great playing the wrong girl um, because it was a movie about, or at least my movie, because it was the movie within the movie for me, was about being the wrong girl. And so I got to play all of my insecurities— I got to demonstrate every single insecurity that I had in a, in a, in a totally confident way. So it was fantastic for me. Um, Does, do things change in terms of what you're going to do, who you're going to work with, the script? I mean, the usual bullshit. The scripts that are sent to you, the directors that are ringing you up, it changes after that. It changes Nothing a lot. changes your life like an Oscar. Nothing changes Nothing. your – and also you get offered a bunch of stuff that you're really wrong for. <laughs> We want you to play Superwoman. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're going to do Superman or, yeah. and we're Supergirl. We want you to be the blonde part, yeah. But I got to play another great part. I got to be um, Lily Dillon in The Grifters, a real blonde part. How did Jack and your father react when you won? I think they were a bit flabbergasted, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I didn't go backstage because I was in such a delirium. I ran back into the audience and— You didn't go do the press lap backstage. No, I ran off stage before anyone could steer me in the right direction. Right. And I went back to my seat and Jack was crying and I thought, what's he crying about? And then I said, my dad was crying. Foreman was crying. He was probably crying because I forgot to thank him. But— I couldn't believe it. It's like, how come they're all undone? Who's another director that you worked with who uh, you felt that really intense connection with? Oh, the wonderful Nick Rogue. Really? I loved working with Nick. He was so subversive and so fun and naughty and smart. I did a movie with him called The Witches, and it's ostensibly for children. 
it's actually a very sophisticated movie. It's about Hitler. Right. It's this strange group of women who come together in, in, in a hotel in Cornwall and they all turn into witches and they turn little boys into mice. And it's it's really a very good movie, I have to say. It was certainly one of my best experiences. I grew up and watched a lot of television for a very specific period of my life. I watched F Troop and Gilligan's Island and the Munsters and the Adams Family and Candid Camera. And I watched, and when as soon as the Aaron Spelling era was launched, I never turned on. The last broadcast TV show I watched with any regularity is I used to watch Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman was the last show I watched. So if you told me that someone was going to take the Adams family and make it into a film that I thought was really, really funny, I'd say, you're out of your fucking mind. And yet it's, it's two of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my life. How did that happen? Um, well, I'd have to say Barry was, was fabulous, but there was the genius Scott Rudin and... I think Scott Scott is so passionate about the work. He's an amazing producer and he I he I remember him being there day and night he for for every scene. For people who don't know Sonnenfeld was a great cinematographer before he directed yeah, directed yeah. films. I needed a good producer probably. Oh, unbelievable. And and I think occasionally they they fought, but we never knew about it. Right. It would they were keep that off the set. Uh, yeah, they were absolutely unified. And I'd get into a really bad mood because I had I had lifts on my eyes and lifts on my neck and corsets and nails and you know it was the most it was like a four hour makeup job. It to was me. a four hour makeup job, and it took another two hours to prep me before I went on set, and it was just brutal. You couldn't sit down in the dress; it was a nightmare. Um, and every once in a while, you'd have to wait for thing to work, you know, and it was right. like, come on, six hours later, you guys have to be kidding me. And they'd come and apologize in the sweetest way. Yeah. I did Cat in the Hat with Mike Myers, and they said, now, remember that Mike comes in, and we get him in makeup, and once he's done in makeup, and we have, we've pre-lit his sets, and we've rehearsed the scenes, and they, go, and they, they said, we're so frantic about the time we have Mike available, because he's only going to work so many hours in his contract, then we got to take all the shit off of him. They said, please don't be offended, but whatever scene you're in the middle of, <laughs> and cut, you're going to be in mid-sentence, and when we, they walkie-talkie us uh-huh. that Mike is ready. We're going to just stop everything and leave you dead. We're going to leave you by the side of the road. Well, that's what it was like, except With Mike thing. in this occasion was <laughs> a thing, a hairy thing. When I came to New York in uh, 79, I came to New York and uh, somebody who I admired, I mean, to the ends of the earth was Raul. I loved Raul. Oh, what a prince. Oh. The loveliest, sweetest, a kindest talented. man. Talented. Used to sing opera to the children between takes. I mean, he'd, he'd do anything he for special, you. He was special, wasn't he? Oh, he was Who were some of the other leading men that you really, really thought that this was really a great battery? Um... <sighs> That's a difficult question. I have to go to Jack, you know. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, just because the the great ones provide. Yeah. And it's not necessarily because you notice how great they're being. It's just that they're there for you. Jack did a thing in Preetzi's where I come out of the, the wedding scene and my father's being a real asshole to me and and I'm crying and Jack offers me his handkerchief. 
Well, you know, an audience doesn't really know what that means at that time, but he gave me the opportunity to blow my nose really loud, you know? It's a comedy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what it is. It's somebody who who you can work off with, who you have that kind of repartee. I had it with Cusack and the Grifters. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's. It's nice when you play when you play with someone that hits the ball back. Oh, absolutely! Bang! It's like so that. much fun. Yeah. yeah. And Cusack, who is kind of an enigma to me, he falls into that category of these preternaturally talented men, young leading men, brilliant. brilliant actor. While he was young, yeah. You know, it's a great thing to be able to put the Rubik's cube together while you still have the shine on you of the youth and beauty. And he's a very, very talented guy who then all of a sudden, he doesn't look like he really wants to work very much. I don't know. Well, he doesn't I, find, no, I'm not saying you would, but yeah. I'm saying it's interesting to me how he did a, like a row of great films. And then it's kind of like he couldn't, it was almost like he couldn't find anything he liked. Yeah, the, he burned out a bit. I mean, he was amazing in that movie. I was completely mesmerized by him. I was mesmerized by Annette Bening, too, I have yeah. to say. When I went in um, to read... Martin Scorsese and Stephen were producing the film as well as, as Stephen was directing it. And it was my instinct that I should be a blonde. But I didn't put on a wig to go for the meeting. I thought that was a bit on the nose. So I just wore a very suggestive dress and, you know, went in. And within the first 10 minutes, Stephen said, what if, what if you were a blonde? And I thought, he gets it. He gets it. Cool. He gets me. Cool. Did your dad, because of his great, great career, did he have films that he was really the most proud of? Like, what did he feel was his best work? Well, I think he had a special regard for Treasure of Sierra Madre because of his dad. Um, because oh. he he brought his dad to an Academy Award. And I think it's like the best performance in movies, frankly. If you haven't seen that movie in a while and you, oh. you re-look at that movie – it's magical, that performance. Like, And I think his direction to his father was speak fast. Honest men speak fast. I'd sit there with my friends whenever we were huddled around in the wee hours. We sensed the party was over and you knew that men were going to fall asleep. I turned to them and I'd say, what's three times $35,000? I bet you $105,000 you fall asleep before I do. I'd say, <laughs> Bogart around the fire. Fabulous. One of the greatest movies ever made. You directed one movie, correct? Three. What was the first one you directed? Um, it was called Bastard Out of Carolina. Right. What was it that propelled you to want to get behind the camera and take on that job? Um, well, I'd always wanted to direct. Um, and it so happened that the director fell out of the movie and I was offered it over a weekend, literally. And my agent knew that I, I was interested in, in directing something. We didn't quite know what it would be. And I read the script and I really liked it. Did you enjoy the process? Oh, I loved it. You did? Oh, I loved it. What about it? Um, the, fir the first morning I went to my trailer and I'm, my heart was beating and I was waiting and waiting and waiting for the knock on my door to call me to set. 
<laughs> I didn't even understand the that the, the, direct, anymore, the, director. the director. You just is go on to this. Set. Right. Old habits. You'd think that I'd have known a little better with John Huston as a father, but that's how excited and out of my mind I was. Um, the part I loved best was working with the kids. Uh, Jenna Malone was a brilliant little actress and fun. Are you going to direct another movie? You think? I, I, you know, if I found the right thing. Um, it, it, in a way, you know, I'm lazy in that I want it to find me. <laughs> but things do, I think, when synergy works. That's, that's right, that's, that's right. That's how it works. Thanks for doing this. Oh, God bless you. You too. Oh, thank you. Actress, icon, Angelica Houston. She has written a captivating memoir in two parts, A Story Lately Told and Watch Me. The first half covers her childhood and teenage years, in Ireland and England, while the second half is a romp through her days on the modeling circuit and in Hollywood. Both are told with emotional depth and graceful humor, and I can't recommend them highly enough. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.